0: the purpose of washing your hands isn't to make them permanently clean from now on it's to make them currently at this moment clean yeah. same thing with confession it doesn't make you perfect henceforth <laughs> that's not its that's not its purpose its purpose is to beautifully and lovingly and just deliciously clean you at this moment yeah and and one thing a lot of folks don't realize
1: is that at the moment of absolution you are a saint I heard a homily last month from Bishop Barron, who said that the celia in reconciliation means eyelash. And so the act brings us eyelash to eyelash with God, touching foreheads in intimate friendship. To help us better understand this sacrament, we talk it over with Father Joseph Horn from St. Michael's Abbey here in California on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Saviniets, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue may help us approach the truth and have a really great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I check the email every few days, and I appreciate your thoughts and comments. And I just wanted to add that today's discussion is actually the result of a listener who said she would like to know more about confession, the sacrament of reconciliation. And I thought I would like to know more about that, too. And that's a really good idea. And so I was able to find our guest today, who is Father Joseph Horn. He's originally from Deerfield, Illinois. He's a Norbertine priest at St. Michael's Abbey in Silverado, California. He just recently celebrated 41 years of the priesthood uh, a couple weeks ago, and so he has heard a lot of confessions and thought a lot about this sacrament. So I'm I'm delighted to have you with us today, Father Joe, and I appreciate you talking with us about the Sacrament of Reconciliation.
0: Well, thank you. This sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Welcome, welcome. Uh, Would you like to tell us a joke? Oh, uh, how about a bad pun? I'll take it. Okay. uh,
0: How do Catholic cowboys greet the priest when they go to confession?
1: I have no idea. They say, howdy, (laughs) pardoner." Sorry. (laughs) Okay. Um, Thank you. Uh, Short and sweet, too. Uh, Would you like to tell us a bit about your life and how you became a priest and what is a Norbertine? Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, well, real quick, what an Orbitine is, is to to put it a little more simply than it probably should be. uh, Around the 1200s, the church had only two options for religious. Either you went off to a monastery and got closed in, you know, cloistered behind walls and became a monk and you could work on your own salvation there. Or you could become a priest and, you know, work in a, in a church, in a parish and be active and be working with people. But the problem with both of those options is there's a real drawback. For instance, the monks are working on their own salvation in in a monastery didn't get to work with people. You know, there's that, that lack of interaction with the public. And the priests living in a parish, working with the people, get the benefit of that. But they don't get the benefit of praying with lots of other, you know fellow monks, as it were, and living that life in the monastery. So St. Norbert said, why don't we take the best of both worlds and have priests who work in parishes, teach in schools, do all the usual active things, but also live in a monastery and pray together. So it's like the best of both worlds. He called it the Vita Mixta, the mixed Ah. life. And uh, that was, he founded the order in 1121. So it's uh, 900 years ago. That's amazing. And
1: that's before the uh, friars, which is what I thought you were going to describe, like um, Dominic and Francis, who said, let's go out beyond the walls of the monastery and minister to the people.
0: Exactly. It, it, it was a movement that started really big and, and caught on and became huge in the church back then, and for, for a clear reason that it was a benefit to all the members of the order and to those with whom they worked.
1: Yeah. And am I correct that the Vita Mixta is a response to the previous dichotomy of uh, contemplative or active? That's correct. Yeah. Um, Wonderful. Well, thank you for telling that. And so you and your, um, you're not brothers, right? You're all priests. You're all fathers. Is that right?
0: That's right. Now, some Norbertine abbeys do have brothers, but we uh, as a community voted that we would have just priests, that everybody who joins our community is working towards the priesthood.
1: Yeah, and um, I was I looked at your uh, Facebook page uh, where I I'll put a link people can follow you, um, and you have just a ton of photography of, of the very beautiful evening sky in Southern California. Is that a is that a desolate place where where the Abbey is, or is it more beautiful? What's the land like around you? Well, it's in
0: Southern Orange County. Orange County is famous for having Disneyland and lots of orange groves, so it's it's actually a beautiful area. But the Abbey itself is in the southern end in a canyon. Uh, Silverado Canyon, which is a little bit desolate. So it's perfect for us. We're close to civilization, but just far enough away that it's got the real
1: peacefulness of an abbey. It might resemble the Holy Land or medieval Spain or Italy or something. Very much. Yeah. Um, do you want to say anything about how you became a priest or, you know, you grew, grew up in Illinois or far, far from home? Well, r- real simple. Um,
0: I was a Boy Scout as a young teenager and our Troop, Troop 153 from Deerfield, Illinois, would go once a year to do a retreat because it was a Catholic troop. We would do a retreat up in East Troy, Wisconsin, at a seminary run by the Divine Word Fathers. And one of the brothers came out during the retreat one weekend, and he was chatting with us. I don't remember his name. Sweet, sweet young man. And and he turns to me and he goes, have you ever thought of being a priest? And I laughed and said, No. <laughs> But that put the thought in my head. And over the next few months, it just wouldn't go away. That thought was just burning in my brain. So I applied to St. Michael's in Southern California because I heard that they were pretty solid at a time when everything in the church was changing so radically. And uh, came out here for the come and see visit, as it were, and never went home.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I I was also a Boy Scout, and that was a very formative um, thing in my life as well. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, let 's talk about confession uh where yeah. does this uh Where does the sacrament come from? Are we the only Christians who have it and
0: well, any Christians who don't have it are misunderstanding jesus's clear command he He told his apostles you know whoever's sins you forgive are forgiven them and so that's when he instituted yeah. the sacrament and then the New Testament in several places makes it very clear we should confess our sins to one another. And so since it was a sacrament instituted by Jesus, it goes back to the beginning. It has changed form, right? You know, the church mm-hmm. certainly can change details about how it's done. But the gift of the sacrament uh, was from Jesus himself.
1: Yeah. And I think you elsewhere you you cite John 20, 22, um, where Jesus says to his apostles, receive the Holy Spirit, Whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins? Yes, are yes, exactly. Is, is that the the foundational passage, or is there? Um... You know that it, it, we we consider that at that moment
0: he uh, instituted the sacrament.
1: Yeah, and then from what little internet research I did, and I'm no expert, it just looks like for a while it it changed forms a little bit. Like first first you only confessed once in your life after baptism, yeah. so you kind of saved it to the end, and then for That's a while right. it was public, and then sort of became the private, you know, the sort of more like the confessional we have today's only happened in the third century, so a couple hundred years later.
0: That's right. Many details of, uh, I guess, all the sacraments have uh, been clarified and modified over time, as long as the, you know, the matter and form are are constant and, you know, unchangeable because they're instituted by Jesus. Uh, Yeah, the uh, early days of the church, there was huge debates about whether you could go to confession more than once per lifetime. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm glad that they uh, realized, no, no, it's clearly the will of God that this sacrament be available whenever it's needed.
1: Yeah. Right. Cause that, that sort of implies that you're going to stop sinning, which is not human nature at all. Right. Exactly. That's, we like, we like our confessions frequent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I find uh, confession to be quite, quite liberating that I have, you know, I'm certainly a sinner and I need um, Pope Francis's field hospital of a church all the time. Hmm. But uh, do you find that you meet people who are resistant to the idea?
0: Oh, very much so. Usually because they're like nervous, they're afraid of saying out loud their deep, dark secrets. But to me, one of the brilliant sayings of modern psychology is that we are only as sick as our secrets, Mm -hmm. right? You know, that Mm -hmm. that we we deep down really need to put things out loud into words to another person. And when we do that, it's so liberating. And so the psychology of the sacrament is brilliant. And uh, it also has the spiritual guarantee from Jesus that when you receive the absolution, the guilt, the actual guilt, the fact that you did it, is washed away. So it's it's just a, a brilliant, brilliant sacrament.
1: Yeah, because you might think you can repress something or push it down or, or forget about it, but nothing is ever forgotten. Your conscience will, will keep it for you until you're quite unwell. And um, there's you, there's no other way to get rid of it. Yeah, that's right. And
0: it's it's a good idea, of course, to in therapy, you know, in actual therapy, to dig out the reasons why we do these sins. But the sacrament is not therapy. It's it's it does something which no therapist can do. It actually removes the guilt itself. You know, you can actually say, I went to confession. And at, at that moment, the fact that I did that thing that I that embarrassed me, it's gone. You know, it's been washed away from history. Wow. You know, that that's an amazing thing.
1: Yeah. No, that's wonderful and, and miraculous. And so why is that? Is that because it is not you, the priest, who are doing the forgiveness, but God himself?
0: Exactly. It's very similar to at Mass when the priest holds up the, the bread and says, this is my body. It's not the priest's body right so Mm -hmm. but he says this is my body because it's actually at that moment jesus speaking right Mm -hmm. same thing in confession when the priest says i absolve you Uh, only god can wash away sins right i i can't i'm just i'm just a human being but that's god at that moment speaking through the priest it's jesus himself saying i am now washing away your sins
1: yeah, and that and at that moment um the priest is in persona christi. Is that correct? He is That's correct. He's a, a standing in for Jesus. And is this the reason why those are the two things that deacons don't do? They don't perform transubstantiation, they don't hear confessions. That's right.
0: Only only uh, priests and bishops. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Um Okay, now the funny thing I used to hear, and I was gonna say I hear this all the time, but I don't hear this all the time, but I remember hearing in the past, maybe when I was younger people talked about Catholic guilt and especially the sort of people who uh, maybe walked away from the church or had had an experience they didn't you know they didn't like and they they sort of in adulthood decided to go some different way and they would always talk about Catholic guilt. and I thought that was really interesting because I don't feel any Catholic guilt and I feel like we Catholics, have this ability to just put everything, you know, we're going to do a lot of rotten things because we are sinful people and broken people, but we're able to put these things down, put them away, start again. And I I find that the opposite of, of guilt. Do you have a, you know, having thought about this for, for many years, Mm you, do people, you, do you get that?
0: Well, I'd, I'd like to put it in a way that I've never read in any book or heard in any class, but it makes sense to me is that guilt Is something which there's two completely different meanings for that word. Mm -hmm. One, when you're in court and they say, We have looked at the evidence and the jury has found you guilty, you know, we we determined that you are guilty. They're not saying how you feel. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. not talking about any feeling of guilt. They're talking about actual guilt, the fact that you did it. Whereas if somebody says, Oh, I feel so guilty about that, they're not talking about whether they actually did something or not, they're talking about their feeling, it's an emotion. And those two are radically different. It's possible for someone to feel terrible guilt without having done anything wrong. And it's possible for somebody to do something terribly wrong and not feel guilty at all. Right? So the sacrament is about the actual guilt. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that what it is about is the feeling of guilt, and it's not. That the purpose of the sacrament of confession is not to make you feel better, it's to make the actual guilt, the actual fact that something wrong was done, be washed away. And of course, over time, that as you realize that, as it sinks in that, wow, I, I, at the end of time, when I'm judged, that sin won't even be on the list. As, as that sinks in, as we realize it, wow, that does make you feel a lot better, right? Yeah. So the, the, the feeling is definitely uh, involved. But uh, one, one real problem is that guilt as an emotion, just like any emotion, can have either too much or too little, right? Mm-hmm. And so some some people feel too little guilt. They do things that they shouldn't, and they don't do things that they should, and they don't care. They have a lax conscience, on the other hand, you have people with a scrupulous conscience who feel guilty about everything, right? right. And they, they, they're they just overwhelmed with guilt when there's no need to be. So the, the gift of actual, you know, the, the feeling of guilt, which is appropriate, is simply to let us know that we've done something wrong. And as soon as we realize a appropriate amount of guilt for something that we actually did, then we admit the actual fact of guilt in confession to have it washed away.
1: So, how often should I go to confession, and what is the difference between mortal and venial sin? Oh, those are two very good questions. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. Well, well, let me address the second one first, uh, mortal and venial sin, because one thing a lot of people don't know is that we are only required to confess mortal sins. Hmm. Uh, venial venial sins if you don't have any mortal sins then of course to go to confession you have to confess something and so then you confess some venial sins but the difference is that a mortal sin is any sin which passes the following three tests if a sin you know which means a a sin is basically when you do something that you know you shouldn't do right Mm -hmm. when you well suppose a sin passes all three of these tests first it must be something seriously prohibited by God himself. Secondly, the person doing it must know that it's seriously prohibited. And thirdly, the person doing it must have complete control of their free will when they decide to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, if, if a sin fits all three of those, then it's a mortal sin. Mortal meaning deadly St. John uh, talks about that in the, in the New Testament in his letter, saying that there are, there are some sins that are deadly and some sins that are not. So we're talking about the deadly sins, the ones that kill the soul, as it were. And so if, if you're aware that you did something which is seriously prohibited by God, and when you decided to do it, you knew that it was seriously seriously prohibited by God. And when you decided to do it, you were in full control of your free will. Then, yes, you, you need to go to confession and confess that because that's how to get those mortal sins washed away. Now, if a sin is something, you know, what we call a venial sin, a less important sin, a non-deadly sin, then it will fail one or more of those tests. Like if something is not seriously prohibited by God, like, you know, minor gossip. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm I'm talking about Betty's, you know, hairdo and how silly it looks. Well, that's mm. a nasty. That's a nasty thing to say. That's a minor sin against charity, right? right. And so that would that would be a venial sin. <clears throat> On the other hand, if I steal somebody's car that they need to get to work and you know provide for their family and I steal it knowing that it's going to cause them to lose their job, and it's just a a mean, terrible thing to do, that could easily be a mortal sin. And as soon as I realize I should not have done that, and I'm sorry, then the way to get that sin washed away is to go to confession.
1: Now, that's very interesting because I think uh, context matters a lot. So there might be a, a time when I steal something, I can't think of an example, but let's say there's a lot of it or it doesn't belong to an individual who needs it might belong to a community, you know, like somebody left these things, you know, I, I don't know, like, like the most easy one would be like, I, I, I was at the hotel, and I stole extra soap or whatever from the car right. in the in the hallway. Now, sure, that's theft, but it doesn't sound like it would be a, a mortal sin, whereas the the example of theft that you gave sounds like it would be.
0: That's right. Yeah. Most most thefts are either petty theft or something not a deadly, you know, something that would not kill the soul. But it is possible for a theft to be so serious that it that it is a mortal sin. And you, one thing that I always remember is in the olden days before cars were around, people rode horses. Mm-hmm. If you stole somebody's horse. They hung you. They killed you for that. That was that was a capital crime. Well, the reason for that is because people needed their horse. If you stole somebody's horse, you were basically killing them. And so stealing somebody's horse was almost murder. Yeah. And so that that's why they would hang you for it. Well, nowadays, people think nothing of stealing a car. Well, wait a minute. That's Pretty close to stealing somebody's horse, so yeah, I, I think we've gotten away from realizing how serious some sins can be,
1: right? And then the other thing is, if you steal a car and you have no idea whose it is, you are gambling that oh, it doesn't matter that guy's got insurance; he'll get another car. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But you don't know, and is that would that be like the, the the condition of ignorance or not, or at least not full awareness of, of your act?
0: No, no, because you, you know, not being aware of who it's going to hurt is very different from not uh, being aware that it's serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I steal a car from somebody who does or doesn't need it, it, that that doesn't change the fact of the seriousness of the sin. It can have terrible repercussions down the line that I can't predict. If you s- steal something with no idea whose it is, then not only are you committing the terrible sin of theft, but also the terrible sin of complete contempt for people, right? It's like, I don't even care whose this is, you know, wow. You know, we should at least care about people enough that we, you know, ask that question. Whose is this? Should I steal this? Well, that depends on whose it is. No, I don't care. I'm just going to steal it. Yeah. Wow. That's complete contempt for people.
1: Yeah. Now, and then you might have an example like Robin Hood, who presumes to steal from an oppressive I don't know sheriff or whatever or, or or nobleman to feed the poor he's breaking a commandment but he's doing it at least with the intention I mean maybe it's maybe it's uh arrogance but he's doing it with the intention of serving the poor what do you think
0: <laughs> yeah that's 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 debatable because some people would say he wasn't even stealing what he was doing was returning stolen goods to uh-huh. their owner so yeah, I, yeah that's debatable
1: yeah. All right. Well, thank you. That That's very um, helpful. The three conditions and also I think the, the context and, and what you're aware of. Um, I tried to confess during the pandemic online. It did not exist. I think you have to go in person. There's, no, that, like, that's there's correct. no confession by Zoom or anything
0: like that. That's correct. It's not allowed. You're not allowed to even confess over the telephone. Yeah. Why is that? because all of the sacraments require what's called moral proximity between the minister of the sacrament and the person receiving it. So like, for instance, if somebody wants to receive Holy Communion, can I mail it to them in an envelope or in a package? No, because then I'm not administering the sacrament to them, right? I, I have to be there with the person when I administer Holy Communion to them. And that's it's that way for all the sacraments. Um, now, one funny example of a of an exception almost is some confessionals have a telephone receiver hanging there at, in the penitence booth, and the reason for that is some people are hard of hearing and they can pick up that little telephone receiver and hear the priest better. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and, yeah. and, 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 and the church always says, no, no, that's not really a telephone. You're not, you're not confessing by telephone. That's just, because you, you're right there, you're right next yes. to the priest. So as long as there's that moral proximity, you know, the, the physical closeness, then the sacrament can be valid.
1: If there's no moral proximity, it's not valid. That seems to me very, very important that the, the, the means by which a sacrament happens is not about the bread or the oil or the wine or the, um, what at the, the item it's about the relationship. Is it right between the two people or, or what? That's part of it also, uh, by the definition
0: of sacrament itself, which says that it's a visible sign. If I were to hear somebody's confession over the phone, there is no location on the planet where it would be a visible sign. If you see me talking on the phone, it's not clear that a confession is going on. Whereas if two a priest and a penitent are close to each other and there's a confession going on, you can tell it's a visible sign, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the sacrament to be a sacrament, it has to fit that definition of being a visible sign.
1: Okay. Um, and did we did we answer how often we should go? Uh, how oh, no, 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 that that does flow, however, from yes. the definition of uh, mortal and
0: venial sin. If you don't conf- commit any uh, mortal sins, then you don't have to go to confession uh, more than once a year. The church, uh, one of the commandments of the church is to go at least once a year. Uh, However, if you're aware of mortal sin, then you really should go as soon as possible after realizing that you are guilty of that mortal sin. St. Aloysius Gonzaga, when he was a young man, was so phobic of dying in the state of mortal sin that any time he was aware of having committed anything that even might have been a mortal sin, he would immediately go off to confession. Mm -hmm. So I think that's great advice that some some people go every two weeks. Some people go once a month. I think the majority go once a month. The popes for many, many popes have, have gone once a week. So, you know, it's really up to you, but uh, definitely whenever you're aware of a mortal sin, go immediately. And otherwise uh, it's a good idea to do it regularly, um, like every two weeks or once a month. And that way, when you check your conscience, you know, when you do an examination of conscience, it's, it's easier to look back in the past. You don't have to reach back years and years and years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, What do you think about receiving communion without going to confession?
0: Well, if you're only guilty of venial sins, which is most people, then actually here's something most people don't know, most Catholics don't know, and and we should, all Catholics should know this, that although the normative way of having mortal sins washed away is the sacrament of penance, the normative way of getting venial sins washed away is the sacrament of the Eucharist. So if you're only aware of some venial sins, the proper expected way of getting those washed away is by going to Holy Communion. And a lot of people don't know that. They, yeah. they, they will stay away from Holy Communion until they go to confession for venial sins. And that's, that's okay. That's allowed. You know, confession certainly does wash away venial sins. But they're denying themselves of a great sacrament,
1: the greatest of all sacraments, mm-hmm. uh, when they don't need to. Yeah, because it's that's what that's who it's for, right? It's for the it's for the, it's for the hungry and the sick. It's right. It's that's, that's what...
0: right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um. um no, thank you so much. I think that might be the most useful thing we just told everybody. Um, please take communion. Uh, how yeah. about the the seal of confession? What are the rules? Well, uh, unlike most things in life,
0: which you know, there's always exceptions to every rule, right? Yeah. Well amazingly, the seal of confession has no exceptions at all, period. It's absolute. So no priest at all, ever, is allowed to use in any way what he heard in confession, uh, you know, in such a way that it would um, reveal either a sinner, what they did, or, you know, uh, something that would connect a sin to a particular penitent. And, and it's an absolute rule. So so, like, for instance, suppose the king calls me in and says, you are the confessor of my wife, the queen. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, and so tell me what she told you last night in confession. I'm sorry. Uh, I cannot tell you that. Mm-hmm. But I'm the king. You have to. Well, I can't. I'm a priest. I'm not allowed to. But I'm the king. I'm ordering you to or else I will have your head cut off. Well, fine. Go ahead. Cut my head off. I'm not using it anyway. It, it's... it's <laughs> It, it, it's a, it's an absolute rule that there have been many martyrs who were executed because they refused to reveal what was heard in confession.
1: Yeah. Um, now, w- what if there is uh, something that could be harmful to others? Right? Like I, um, I, I confess that I'm pl- plotting this this um, this crime. This murder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same
0: absolute no matter what oh but one of my favorite examples is suppose somebody comes in and says bless me father for i have sinned it's been a week since my last confession i i confess that i i was so mad at you for that awful homily you gave last week that i put poison in the food that you're going to eat half an hour from now for dinner (laughs) uh and and i'm sorry i did that yeah i i absolve him and i send him on his way and i have to go then eat that dinner what if you suddenly feel not hungry? <laughs> if 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 I if I make the decision to use what he told me in confession, then I'm breaking the seal. Yeah, and and astoundingly, in in communist Russia, you know, before communism fell, yeah, uh, or 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 at least they told us it fell, um, that there were many people who were worried whether a priest was a real priest or some fake priest planted by the government and they would test them that way they would say something in in confession which they would then keep an eye out to see whether the priest revealed it like to the government or whatever and that way you could actually separate the real priests from the fake ones
1: right i might confess that i hid the the secret book for the secret club behind that painting and then if somebody goes looks there exactly yeah all right. But now what if um, you, I didn't poison your dinner, but I poisoned the dinner for the school children and in your parish? Houston. What I would what I would do in a case like that is yeah. I would tell the penitent for your penance, go
0: and remove it. Yeah. And then and then leave it at that. Yeah. And I can't I can't tell anybody. Yeah. Right. Because for, for all I know, it's a test and he never actually did such a thing. Right. It's right. It, the bur- the burden is on him, not on
1: me. Yeah, no, that's just amazing. And um I I understand it. Uh is there a condition in which absolution would be withheld? For example, I'm planning this crime, forgive me. You would say like, well, on condition that you're not doing this thing, or I stole I stole, you know, this car from this poor working family, please forgive me. Well, on condition that you return the car to them, your sins are forgiven, that sort of thing.
0: Well, I can't give conditional absolution. Um there is such a thing as conditional absolution, but it's it, it wouldn't be related to that. Uh, what what I could do is, uh, oh boy, how can I say this? I cannot say uh, I absolve you for a sin that you are planning to commit as long as you t- promise me that you won't do it. Yeah. No, you you can't absolve a sin that hasn't been done yet. Yeah. However, if a sin has already been done and they are sorry, then I absolve it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Even if they don't turn themselves in you know, to the authorities, et cetera. I, I can I can give them
0: that as their penance, yeah. but whether, whether they do that penance or not does not change the fact that
1: the absolution is valid. So, as sin uh, um, is as uh, is forgiven, w- whether or not you do the penance, correct. And a lot of people ah. don't
0: know that. A lot of people will come in and say, "Oh, Father, I feel terrible. I was given a penance and I forgot what it was, so I have to reconfess all my sins." <laughs> no, no. As soon as the priest says those three words. I absolve you. At yeah. that moment, all the sins are washed away.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you clicked on that link that I sent the other day um, from Godfather Part 3, where Michael Corleone, the main character and the terrible mob boss who has killed so many people, is confessing to the um, uh, Cardinal um, Luciano, who would later become Pope John the I in the movie. Um, and, you know, he confesses all these sins. And the the Cardinal hears him and says, well, I know you won't. I know you could be redeemed, Michael, but I know you're not going to change your ways. Um, sort of like, I wish you would turn over a new leaf because I could see that you could be a good man. However, even so, you know, ego te absolvo, et cetera. Um, so he forgives him. the sins, because we, you know, we need the forgiveness. But but he he appreciates that, you know, this man is a terrible criminal, et cetera, and a murderer. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful. Very I'll powerful, have to check that out. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put it. Well, it's very beautiful. Um Anyway, I love that movie. Uh, you you <laughs> sent me uh, a movie suggestion, which was Zorro, and I watched that last night. <laughs> Isn't that a silly scene? Very, very. What did you think? Okay, so um, do you want to tell our listeners what happens? Oh, it's so funny that uh, the,
0: the young lady... Uh, oh, well, first of all, Zorro is running around, of course, you know, chasing, and he runs into a church and hides in a confessional yes. <laughs> in, in, in the priest's side, and then... The young lady, the, the, the heroine of the movie, she comes in to confess. And she she says, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been three days since my last confession. And he laughs and goes, three days? What can you do in three days? <laughs> and, and, and she winds up basically confessing that she has kind of fallen head over heels in love with... This dashing, handsome young man yeah. who Zoro realized she 's talking about him yeah. <laughs> and, and the back and forth is really, really funny, and yeah. she and, and he he basically like sends her on her way, you know and it just it 's just a very, very funny scene, one hundred percent not a valid confession, of course, because he 's not a priest, but it 's still a funny scene to watch
1: right, but then you, were you shocked by the uh, uh, the violation of her um, privacy like almost as if he were you know peeking into her mind and her soul the way he might be peeking into her window as she's well because uh, it wasn't has, a real confession yeah. <laughs> there was no problem there yeah yeah no um it, it was it was uh it was very funny and I think there's a lot of movies like that I can't remember all of them, but I, I do remember one by those Monty Python guys called Nuns on the Run where they're, they're, they're bank robbers dressed up as nuns. And that there's just a that this trope ends up, I think we're very interested in it, you know, uh, yes. in the confessional, the I'm going to tell you all the bad things I did. But of course, it's the opposite, because in all of those jokes, it really depends that you know who it is and they don't know who you are. Whereas you, the priest, are not yourself. You're not Father Joe. You are you're there as as Christ. Right. Right. Yeah. So how does, it, how does it feel? Do you come out of um, confession exhausted? Do you come out of confession uplifted oh, and oh, hopeful? Do you... re- re- related to that, can I tell you yeah. kind of a secret? Before I was
0: ordained, you know, you know we are in the seminary for years and years preparing for the ordination. During that whole time, the only thing that really worried me was, what do you say as a priest in confession? I mean, that, that, I, I was afraid of hearing confessions because I, I felt like completely unworthy and just clueless about what, how to do it. And then I was ordained and started hearing confessions. and Oh my goodness, what a, what a difference, what a change. I, I had no idea before ordination how beautiful it is to see people coming in who are struggling so hard to be good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's an awesome thing. I think of policemen who are dealing with people who do bad things and are trying to get away with it.
1: Yeah. Whereas on yeah. the,
0: I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm working with people who have done wrong things, but are really struggling their hardest to be better. What a beautiful thing that is. And, and so after every single confession, I just feel like a, a load has been lifted off my soul and off the soul of the penitent. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That is that
1: is wonderful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How much uh, time do you spend uh, hearing confessions usually?
0: Uh, well, we, we have them here at the Abbey uh, three hours every day, and then at most parishes they have scheduled uh, confessions. I, I help out every weekend at St. Thomas More in Irvine, uh, Southern California, but uh, I don't help there with confessions because I'm here at St. Michael's Abbey. But we we have confessions three hours every day, and, and we take turns in the confessional working with folks.
1: Yeah. Do you have any advice for, um, you know, is it better to uh, confess sitting face-to-face or behind the screen, or is it better to drive Ooh. over one parish over so you don't know the guy you're going to talk to, that sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, if it ever happens that somebody
0: feels like they're – resisting like there's some sort of resistance about going to confession then a suggestion I definitely would make is go to a parish you normally don't go to and go behind you know go to confession behind the screen that way there's no hesitation about what impression you will make on the priest right Mm -hmm. he doesn't know you you don't know him you won't recognize each other afterwards It's completely anonymous, and that can really help if there's any nervousness about confession. On the other hand, a lot of people love the psychological impact of a face to face confession. And so, whenever that's helpful, that's also a a wonderful option for people now.
1: Yeah, because, well, but it's not like you've built up a relationship where, like, hey, let me tell you, let's talk about what we were talking about last time. I'm still struggling with this problem because. You will have already forgotten it, no, or you will you can't refer back to something. or:
0: Well, that's, that's right. However, just like uh, suppose you have a doctor, I, for instance, just this morning, I had my annual checkup with my doctor, <laughs> and, yeah and, and I've known him for many, many years, and so I know his mannerisms, his way of expressing things. there's a, a, a comfortableness that I have with him above and beyond just the medical level same thing with a priest. If there's a priest who you know pretty well, you've yeah. gone to confession many times, then you will know what sort of questions he asks. You know how he words things. You, you're you on the same frequency. And that can really help when you're uh, confessing the deep, dark secrets of your
1: soul. Yeah. But I have such shame for the things I do. Whereas when I see a doctor, it's not my fault that I have, you know, a a a bad knee or whatever?
0: Well, sort of. However, uh, suppose I'm a doctor and a a patient comes in who's very overweight because they have continually made uh, bad choices about uh, food and exercise. Let's say. Yeah. Would the doctor shame them? Would the doctor embarrass them about that? No, the doctor is a professional and the doctor would be glad that they're there to see them and give them whatever advice and help they can. Yeah. Same, same thing with confession. Yeah. Uh, whenever you, whenever you go into the priest, the priest isn't sitting there judging the sin. What he's doing is basically rejoicing in your penitence. You know, in the fact that you're working on being better, working at improving yourself, and delighting in that and blessing it. So yeah. uh, there there should there should be no awkwardness or feeling of shame about face to face with the priest.
1: Yeah, because we're all sinners, including the priests. Exactly. Yeah. And it's really interesting because some of the greatest saints are the ones who say, you know, I am the most wretched of sinners, and so on. And you're, you, you it might be like Mother Teresa or something like that. And you'd be like, seriously, this is—are you just exaggerating for you know literary effect, or do you really believe this? And I th- I'm convinced they really believe it because they, they see all their shortcomings as we all do.
0: My favorite professor in theology, Father. Ignatius O'Brien, he, he uh, an Irish Dominican, he was he was brilliant. And one time he said, a keen sense of sin is nothing other than a keen awareness of the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that's why these great saints all consider themselves the worst sinners, because they were so close to God. Yeah. And the, differ- the difference between the awesome perfection and infinitude of God compared to us, wow, it really does make you realize how sinful and needy we are of of a savior.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's something about the fact that it puts you in the the relationship of a child, right? Because if I have a toddler who has a dirty face or keeps falling over, like I'm just going to pick them up and dust off off their trousers or or help them wash their face or wash their hands or whatever. I'm not going to be angry with the child because the child makes the same mistakes over and over and over again. That's right.
0: Oh, Related to that, can I point something out? Yes, please. What One thing I've heard many people say over the years is, I think I'm going to stop going to confession because I keep confessing the same thing over and over, and I'm not getting any better. So the, the confession just isn't doing any good for me. Yeah. Uh, you know what that's like? That's like saying, I keep washing my hands, and they keep getting dirty again, so I'm just going to stop washing my hands. <laughs> 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 nope, nobody yeah. says that. Yeah. Right? But we, we, we all realize that the purpose of washing your hands isn't to make them permanently clean from now on. It's to make them currently at this moment clean. Yeah. Same thing with confession. It doesn't make you perfect henceforth. <laughs> that's not it's that's not its purpose. Its purpose is to beautifully and lovingly and just deliciously clean you at this moment. Yeah. And and one thing a lot of folks don't realize is that at the moment of absolution, you are a saint. It actually turns you into a saint, a holy person, right? Mm-hmm. And and of course, the challenge is then staying that way. <laughs> right? It's, it,
1: it's not easy. We're all sinners. We all fall.
0: But that's the beauty, again, of being able to go to confession
1: again when needed. Yeah. So because you are in a state of grace when your sins are forgiven, that is why you're a saint? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. And so do you find that over time, even though I'm doing the same mistakes over and over and over again, I'm slowly... You know, it takes a long time to turn a ship around. Am I am I improving, or maybe not? I might do this the same the same rotten three things to the day I die, because I'm a broken, you know, fallen fallen person.
0: Well, that's right. Most most of us experience that there are some sins that we work on and we do improve on. Some sins that we just keep struggling with our whole life. I mean, it, it's just kind of irritating. And then there are some sins that. Even though we're working our best on them, they seem to be getting worse. Yeah. It's that—that that is the human condition. That's our fallen nature, and it's something that I think it takes humility and patience to simply admit. No, that's that's how it is. But that's yeah. the beauty. That's the beauty of this sacrament is that it washes that stuff away. So each time you go to confession, you're
1: starting anew. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's the key. The key is you're not gonna. You can't save yourself. You can only keep getting back up, right? The race is not to the swiftest or the fight to the strongest, but the one who keeps getting up. That's right. Even Saint Paul had that thorn, right? That he could not get rid of no matter what. Yeah, he even said, "I asked
0: the Lord to remove this three times. I asked him to remove it, and he didn't." So yeah, yeah, it's a struggle, and I like to tell people. I, I can tell you exactly how long this struggle will last. It lasts precisely one lifetime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then what happens? Um now I'm getting very metaphysical and I have no idea what the answer is and maybe uh but maybe you have an inkling. So when you when when you die and you go to the next world, is there no sin? Are we are we some are we, are we a completely new creature? Yes.
0: Not not only will we not want to sin, but we won't even be able to. We will still have a free will, but just like God has a free will and cannot sin because it is against his nature. Similarly, in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, there will be a new type of time, a new type of free will, a new type of reality that we cannot even comprehend right now. Right. In in which we will not sin there will be no sin no death no suffering it's it's going to be a
1: whole whole new creation yeah what a mystery what a mystery yeah. i guess i guess we just have to uh, go forward you know with filled with hope and, and faith and see what happens next yeah yeah um, this is fantastic i have i have asked you all my questions are there important things that i forgot to ask or that you would like to, everybody to know oh the only the, the only one which we didn't hit was the problem of anger
0: Ah. Uh, uh, like like two thirds of everybody who comes to confession <laughs> confesses that they got angry and I have to tell them all I've, I've said this hundreds of thousands of times now anger in and of itself is not a sin mm-hmm. anger is an emotion and for a sin to be a sin it has to be a decision you have to decide to do it but nobody decides to get angry nobody says i will be happy until 3 p.m. and then i will get angry for 10 minutes no it doesn't <laughs> work that way right yeah and 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 and, he, and jesus who is god never sinned but he did get angry you know many mm-hmm. times he he made a whip and went into the temple and beat those people up until they ran screaming out of the temple he was angry at them but the anger was justified anger. It had a reason to be there. And he used it correctly to motivate him to do something that was you know, something he would rather not do, which is confront yeah. people. Yeah. And similarly, I, I think it would really help people to realize that when they get angry, it's how you use it, what you would use it for, what you focus it into, what you use that energy to do, which is more important than the fact that you got angry. The anger itself is an emotion and the emotions are gifts from God how we use them is the important thing and to use it charitably
1: and constructively is uh, is a great gift. Yeah. And significantly he did not tell his disciples to go make whips and beat these people up. He's like, no, no, this is, <laughs> that's, that's for God to do. And uh, we are supposed to love and forgive each other. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, the word sin, I understand from Greek is amartia, which I've is the way it's been explained to me is it means to miss the mark as if you missed the bullseye on a target sort of a thing, um, which makes it doesn't doesn't make it sound so bad. It just sound, makes it sound like I, oh, I, oh, you, 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 you know, you messed up this time. Try again. You messed up this time. Try again. Is, is there something well, more to it than that? Well, actually, that's a brilliant insight. Yeah. You've heard the saying that uh, virtue lies in
0: the middle that uh, every virtue lies in the middle between two extremes, one extreme by excess and one Uh extreme by defect. So like, for instance... um, Is this the golden mean or something else? Oh, no, it's it's different. Uh, So like, for instance, um, uh, well, I was talking, for instance, about guilt. Right. That that if if you have too much guilt or if you have too little, those both lead to problems. But if you have the proper amount in the middle, you know, the, the, the happy medium, then that's good. All virtues are, are like that, and I already forgot what we were talking about about sin and missing the mark oh that 's right yeah. that 's right that 's right so sin is always a decision of what to do so if you if you go to one extreme of doing something too much or the other extreme of doing something too little and you decide to do it that way that 's a sin yeah. but if you do what what 's the happy medium what the proper thing suppose that i i 'm told by my doctor that i'm i 'm Starting to drift towards being diabetic, and I should control my eating. And I decide, well, I'm not diabetic, so I'm going to just eat as much as I want. Well, that's eating too much. That's that's a sin. That's a sin of, of gluttony, right? Mm-hmm. Or suppose I say, oh, I I have to be over cautious about this and start starving myself. That's the sin of you know of of not eating enough, of of damaging myself physically. The proper thing would be to eat a proper amount, the happy medium. All sin lies somewhere on one extreme or the other, and so, in a way that 's correct to say sin is a matter of missing the mark of missing the mark of the happy medium,
1: yeah, which also you know we have sins of commission, which everybody knows I was cruel to my to this person, but we also have sins of omission, right, whereas I like mm-hmm. failed to stick up for the. The person when I should have, and maybe that's it too.
0: Exactly. That's why in the in the act of contrition, we basically say not only will I avoid doing things I know I shouldn't do, but I will also be sure to do the things that I know I'm supposed to do.
1: Yeah, and the act of yeah. contrition we should add because I've been in confession when somebody said, uh, "with a, I'm sorry," with a priest said. Say the act of contrition, and I didn't know it. So I think you should, before you go in there, have it on a card or or, or on your phone, so that you can read the act of contrition when the father asks you.
0: That's a good idea. Yes. Also, please please note that there are about seventeen different versions of the act of contrition. Mm-hmm. So if you are not quite sure of one version, if you don't have one memorized or a copy handy or on your cell phone, then be sure to just ask the priest to help you with it. I always bring a stack of little printed out acts of contrition on cards that I hand out. yeah. So that helps people with the act of contrition.
1: Well, that that is brilliant. Thank you so much, Father Joe. Um, thank you for your wisdom and your time and for all of this very helpful information. I hope all of our listeners will be off to confession this weekend or at their soonest time. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to my next confession a lot. Wonderful. Thank you so yeah. much. And may, may I give a blessing to all your listeners? I would love that. Yes, please. Okay.
0: Heavenly Father, please help your servants to make good confessions, help them to know their sins as clearly as on that day when they will stand before thy judgment seat, bring to their minds the evil which they have done and the good deeds which they have neglected. Grant them the gift of heartfelt sorrow for their transgressions and the grace of a sincere confession so that they may be forgiven and fully reconciled with you. We ask this blessing in your name and in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross, be born.
1: Chris Odenietz and Father Joseph Horn recorded this conversation on, on July 13, 2022. That's the day the third secret of Fatima was revealed in 1917, and Our Lady called the world to penance, along with a vision that Cardinal Ratzinger, the future Pope Benedict XVI, said was intended to mobilize the forces of change in the right direction for the whole world. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster. Their website is gscoasterband.com and the image of the dog is taken with the kind permission of the Dominican friars of England, Scotland and Wales from their website english.op.org I'm Chris Odinitz Please email me with comments, questions, ideas for future episodes at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com I thank you for listening I'll talk to you soon This,
0: they. This is Christ the King, whom
1: shepherds, God, and angels sing.